Karen serves with uh, Trumbull EMS, and so this is a particular poignant day for Karen as it is for me, uh, a serving fire chaplain, because I'm the chaplain of the Long Hill Fire Department this time. I was with the Charlotte Fire Department on 9-11. Before we go further, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort that we derive from your word. We thank you for the challenge of your word. And we pray that you will speak to us today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to take you to one verse. I'd like to say this verse comes out of years of education. It doesn't. This verse comes out of something my dad taught me when I was a young believer just soon after he and my mother led me to the Lord. And it's a verse found in Proverbs 14 and verse 34. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 458, 459. We're going to be looking at both of those pages today. Page 458 and 9. But Proverbs 14.34 is a verse that seems particularly applicable for us as a nation today. The verse is this. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a rebuke to any people. When we hear the word righteousness, sometimes we have little red flags going up in our mind. Uh, sometimes we think of self-righteousness. Sometimes we think of the holier-than-thou attitude. That's not what it's talking about here. Righteousness in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, relates to being aligned with the rightness of God. Right is the operative word, the operative aspect of this word. And so the question arises, well, what does a righteous country look like? What does a righteous society look like. From earliest days in college and seminary, we've been turned to look at the context, because the context usually has the answer to what we're, we're looking for. And as I went back through this 14th chapter of, of Proverbs, I found five marks of a righteous society. The first one is in verses 21 and 22. It says this, he who despises his neighbor's sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the, the needy. Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. The first thing I want us to notice is regard. In a righteous society, there is regard for others. Let me set up a little contrast maybe for each of these five axioms that I want to talk about this morning. Contrast here would be an unrighteous society bullies the weak. A righteous society regards others. Uh, one of the interesting statements that's come up this year as school has reopened is the development of policies against bullying in school. Uh, I remember being bullied very well from my high school days a long time ago. His name was Don Lechner, and he was big. And he used to give me a terrible time. I think that was the junior high bully I knew. I forgot the name of the uh, grade school bully because I think that I've just kind of blotted that out. That's one of the great benefits of age. <laughs> But, but bullying is, is part and parcel of an unrighteous society. The weak are bullied. But the, the writer of Proverbs makes the point that in a righteous society, 
There's a regard for others. Early on in college, I made the mistake of running into a history professor. His name was Earl Cairns. Uh, Earl Cairns looked like somebody slept in him. He really did. He was, uh, he, he was a really typically looking professor. He never pressed his trousers. He never shined his shoes. He, he, he was just one of those guys that kind of slumped around from place to place. But he was a brilliant historian. And uh, Dr. Cairns and I became very, very close friends throughout the rest of his life. Uh, he went to be with the Lord a few years ago, very high up in his 90s. But Dr. Cairns, from the day one, said, Don't forget, Wayne, when Christianity comes to a country, it changes the society of that country. There are social changes. One of his favorite illustrations was that of John Wesley. When John Wesley came to England, England was a brutal, bullying society. England was crying out for revolution. One of the great historians of the French Revolution said the only thing that ever saved England from a revolution like the French Revolution was John Wesley. And John Wesley uh, was, came to this society that was absolutely dissolute. Where uh, we lived in Bristol, England, we lived across the street from a pub. Everywhere in England is across the street from a pub almost. <laughs> and and they, they used to say that there would be a sign in the pub window that said you could be drunk for a penny and dead drunk for threepence, three pennies. And there will be fresh straw to sleep it off on. Ironically, the pub across the street from our church was just around the corner from the spot where John Wesley preached every morning when he was in Bristol at 7 o'clock in the morning. And he began to see a total change in society because there was a regard for others. It revolutionized 18th century England. It's part of a righteous society. The second one is found in, in verses 23 and 24. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The wealth of the wise is their crown, but the folly of fools yields follies, yields folly. The second mark of a righteous society is that there's a proper return for both labor and investment. When people give of themselves, be it in investment or be it in labor, there needs to be a proper return. The New Testament quotes that old phrase from the Pentateuch which says, Do not uggles, uh, muzzle the ox that treads out the grain, or, and, and a laborer is worthy of his hire. But here it's applied to both the investment of wealth and the investment of labor. There's a return in a righteous society. Let's look at a contrast here. An unrighteous society creates a climate of exploitation. A righteous society encourages honest investment of both capital and labor. I was born so long ago that you may wonder if the United States existed, but it did. <laughs> I was born into depression-ridden Pontiac, Michigan. There used to be a car called Pontiac. If you look very carefully in the pocket parking lot, you may see one today. But I, I was born into this town of Pontiac, Michigan. And God, in His great mercy, sent into that industrial Midwest of the United States, northern Indiana, northern Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, around from Chicago, on an axis from Chicago to Detroit, basically. He sent great preachers. Many of them came from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. 
And one of the men that came from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago was a guy named H.H. Savage. And he came to this town of Pontiac, Michigan and began to preach the gospel. And my mother and dad, who had lived a very wild life during the, the 1920s, they were really in the swinging era in, in many ways, uh, heard the gospel. And they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And I watched how the gospel transformed the society of that Midwestern industrial city uh, in my own lifetime. Because it worked. And there, there, there was a return on labor. There was a return on investment. A society that is righteous values labor, values investment, values people who contribute to the society in which they live. This set me on a track, of course, for the rest of my life as a historian. I teach history over at Sacred Heart. If you want to come at 9.30 in the morning, I will bore you, let you go back to sleep, actually. Um, I teach, <laughs> I'm teaching each. Ancient history tomorrow morning at 9.30 at Sacred Heart. But as I've been teaching history, I've come up with a little theory that I've been working on for a long time. It's this, that a country that gives to missionary work enjoys financial prosperity. And when missionary giving declines, financial prosperity declines. I thought I was the only guy that ever thought that thought. I was sitting in a church in Charlotte, North Carolina one night, and a Korean preacher was preaching in Korean. And Korean is not one of my languages. But the interpreter is very good. And she said in the middle of that sermon that this preacher believed that, right, that as a nation sends missionaries, it thrives economically. When it stops being a missionary sending agency, it, it declines. Let me give you some examples. Germany today. France today. Increasingly Switzerland. Certainly the United Kingdom. There's, there's a return on investment. And when we invest in the things of the Lord, He blesses us. Let's look at the third one. This is in verses 26 and 27. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. For his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. The third word we want to look at is reliance, reliance on safety. A righteous society is a safe society. There's a sense of safety in that society. This is a favorite phrase in the Proverbs, and probably the central verse is Proverbs 18.10 that says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. There's reliance on a safe atmosphere when a, when a country is righteous, when a country reflects the righteousness of God. But the opposite is also true. Unrighteousness creates an amazing sense of horror in society. In 1953, I was one of the first American exchange students to go to Germany. So nine, I was uh, 17 years old. And I was uh, sent to uh, Bremen, which is in the north, uh, on the North Sea coast. And I stayed with a, a very well-known family, uh, which was a, a wonderful experience, uh, by the name of Kuhlenkampf. <laughs> and uh, uh, Mr. Kuhlenkampf had been a, uh, a minesweeper commander during World War II. 
And I said to him, did you know anything about the Holocaust that was going on in, in Germany? Or in Russia, for that matter. It was going on in both countries at that time. He said, no, I never knew anything about it. Never knew anything about it. And yet there was that great sense of a society in which people feared. He said, we just knew that when it was all over, we could stop fearing. We could stop fearing. Worked in a gas station where I was in undergraduate school at, at Wheaton. And uh, one of the guys had grown up in Darmstadt, Germany. And he was a teenager. He was just a little bit younger than I was. And uh, I said to him when we were going back, we actually went to Germany as missionaries uh, when we were going back to, to Germany as missionaries, I said, we're going to be based in Darmstadt. Tell me about it. And this uh, young man, who was probably late teens, early 20s at this time, said, I remember it very well. And he said, I remember the night that the bombers came. And that there was just a, a, a horrendous carpet of fire coming down the main street of Darmstadt. He said, I ran as a little boy to try to get ahead of that carpet of fire. Finally, I found a place to be rescued, and, and, and the rest of the story is that ultimately I was able to come to the United States here and rebuild my life, and now going on for education here in the United States. Reliance. There's a relying on a safe atmosphere in a righteous society. May God grant that we will see it here in the United States more and more. Let's move on to the fourth one now. It's in verses 29 and 30. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. A heart at peace gives life's life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's a kind of a favorite phrase. It, it occurs, remember, in, in uh, Psalm 32, when he talks about when we are under stress, it rots our bones. An interesting uh, interaction between stress and health. That, that is, is very often referred to back in the, in the Psalms. And obviously Solomon had heard this all of his life, and, and this was one of the uh, Proverbs that he will uh, introduce us to. And I think a word here might be the word release. Release from stress and fear. Uh, contrast would be unrighteousness increases stress. Righteousness contributes to tranquility. I think it's very interesting that the signers of the Declaration of the Independence uh, of Independence uh, really introduced a phrase which was moving around in the French Revolution to some degrees, but never quite formulated as clearly as it was in our Declaration of Independence when they said that we will advocate the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We will be a society that will stress the release from, uh, will emphasize the release from stress and fear release a righteous society in which people do not need to live in fear. And you can cite any number of examples across the world where this is true. In uh, the year 2001, uh, Margaret and I committed attempted retirement. <laughs> Ten years later, we're finding it didn't work. Uh, but for the first few years of our quote-unquote retirement, we traveled back and forth to China. And we worked as teachers in the uh, underground hidden church in, in China. And we started out in a town called Harbin, which is probably the technological capital of China. The northern city has one of the great uh, institutes of technology. They, they feel that they rival MIT, and I'm not sure, so sure about what they are not 
certainly becoming a rival of MIT. Fine, fine academic atmosphere there. And yet, uh, Margaret and I were teaching uh, in an underground seminary for the leaders of the underground church until the police figured out what we were doing. And uh, the first thing we noticed was we had no heat, and it was 20 below zero outside. The second thing we noticed is we didn't have any water. And the third thing we noticed was that the electricity was flickering and finally went off. And that was kind of a signal that they found us. And so our Chinese coordinator uh, got me on my cell phone and said, it's time to go. And we packed up and gave all of our clothes away to our students and packed up a few little things and jumped on a train and traveled to central, central China. And there lived in a safe house where we were okay to be inside all day. And then I would walk on the roof at night for some exercise. And then finally we ended up in the southern part of China. But it struck me living in China, the, the predominant sense of fear and stress that was there in society at any given time. I thought that had kind of faded until we received a, a magazine just this week in our home which told us that in April of this year, a hundred and some Christians were arrested on the streets in Beijing again. And it just goes on and on and on. There's a release from stress and fear in a righteous society. There is an increase of stress in an unrighteous society. Let's look at the last one. It's number five. And it's in verses 31 and 32, leading up to our verse in 34. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. When calamity comes, the wicked are brought down, but even in death, the righteous have a refuge. I suppose our contrast would look something like this. Unrighteousness oppresses the poor and needy. Righteousness is generous to the poor and needy. It's interesting, when the Apostle John was writing his epistles, it was very late in the first century by most New Testament scholars. Jerusalem had already fallen in 70 A.D. Uh, the temple had been destroyed. Uh, there was great danger to the Christians. And they were living really on the edge in a, uh, a, a Roman Empire that was already showing decline. The Roman Empire was already uh, beginning to show decline at this point. And John writes these verses in 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18. If anyone sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love in word only, but in action and in truth. A righteous society is active in caring for others. My mother and dad had, uh, had had one great trip in their life before the Depression hit. They had come to New York. They were thrilled with New York. I mean, my mother talked about New York for the next 60 years. Uh, she just loved coming to New York, thinking about New York. Anything that had to do with New York, she was thrilled with New York. And one of the things they kept talking to me about was the Bowery Mission. And I remember when we moved to Connecticut thinking, well, I'm certain it doesn't exist anymore. But it did. <laughs> it did for all those years. Just there caring for people who are in need. And it's only one of many, many missions like our Bridgeport Rescue Mission, like the great Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, that, that, that arose during the 20th century, the early 20th century, sometimes the end of the, of the 19th century, uh, to, to care for others. And in a righteous society... 
There's that sense of repaying, that sense of paying forward, that sense of, of giving as the Lord has given to us. And as people give in that way, there's a real sense that the Lord shows us as a, what a righteous society looks like. Righteous society. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a rebuke to any people. What does that mean for you and me ten years after 9-11? I think it's fascinating that this is a crucial month for Black Rock Congregational Church. It's a month when we're looking forward. It's a month when we're saying, what's next? It's a month for when we're saying, what is it, how, how can we as a church fellowship, as a body of believers, as a community of faith, how can we live as a righteous community in our world today? How can we model this rightness of God, so to speak? I always feel fear that I sound like a philosopher when I say rightness, but this rightness of, of God. And there are many ways we do it. We reach out to those who need us in our missionary program that embraces both the United States and the world. And we need to pray that that will get bigger and bigger and bigger and wider and wider and wider in the years to come. We do it by caring for those that surround us. Every time I watch our car ministry at work, I thank God he did not call me to work in that ministry. The only people who thank God more than I do are the people that have to drive the cars. Because I would be a terrible mechanic. Uh, You know, mechanical ability to me is not one of them that the Lord has given me. I just thank God for Dan and for the team that do that wonderful ministry. Or how we shine the light of the gospel out to our community as as a lighthouse. I think it's a wonderful picture of our church that we're a lighthouse. Just shining the gospel. All we're doing is letting the light shine. Over the last few months... As we've been praying about our Lighthouse Project, uh, I've had a job that I've never had before in my life. I'm not only a grandfather, but I'm a great-grandfather now. In fact, um, I have been frightened within an inch of my life because I understand that my four-year-old great-granddaughter is going to be in the next service. scares me half to death. She takes no hostages. And she will have words with me today, I'm sure, about whatever I do in the next service. But as I look for those, at those little great-grandchildren, one of them seven months old, and think, what's the world going to be like in their future? Will they be in a righteous society? I know that we have to invest to shine that society. So as a family, we've been getting together and praying about it. What will we give as a family? What will we take our, our savings and our total amassed retirement programs, and what will we give to this? And I've found that the Lord has guided us, not because we're so great, and certainly not because we're wealthy, but because we want to know what it takes to shine the righteousness of God in this world in which we live. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have placed us in this place as a light for you. And we pray that we will shine forth your righteousness, 
not for our glory and certainly not for the aggrandizement of a church, but only that you will be exalted and glorified and we'll give you all the praise.